Okay, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's well. Good to see everybody. For those who were involved, engaged in yesterday's activities, congratulations. Is today really National Coffee Day? I did not know that. That's a little bit of information from our great producer, Andy Boltax. Shana uh, Tova, for those that were fasting yesterday, welcome back. For the coffee drinkers out there, I don't know about you, but when I break my fast after 24 hours, I break my fast with a cup of coffee. So there's nothing sweeter than the, it's almost worth fasting just to have the coffee post fast. Do you know what I mean? That first bit of caffeine as it sears through your veins is just sweetness, like honey. We're exiting, if you will, the period of time of, we're not really exiting because the whole holiday of Sukkot is still a big piece of this, but just for us. Right, exactly. Every day is National Coffee Day. We're exiting this period of time of introspection, of change and of growth. And what's so critical now, and I know that we mentioned this maybe weeks ago or months ago even, is we are able to sort of continue on with the work that we're doing and using the tools that we have as we build off the foundations with God's help that we're trying to build. As we go past this world of empowerment, as we start to recognize that I need to be in control of my emotional capacity, regardless of the world around me. We have to use the tools that are given to us to make changes, regardless of how I feel. One of the most important aspects of growth is the ability to make change, regardless of how you feel. If we need to be inspired to change, we're not really going to change because there are days in which we feel inspired and days in which we feel uninspired. If I am going to rely on a feeling to drive me towards a goal, I mean, come on, it's going to depend. Sunny days, cloudy days, he said something, she said something, I got a headache, I don't got a headache, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm what? How in the world can we possibly attempt to make changes when changes are, like we discussed here, clearly repetition? The changes of our lives take place through the consistency of our actions. And if every time I need to do something, I have to make sure that all systems are a go inside me, I'm not going to get anything done. That's why we constantly make resolutions and break resolutions. That's why we're constantly in this mode. And if you, if, I, if you have like what we call the double new year life, because you live in a secular society that follows the calendar that sort of starts in January, then if you live in a more, you know, theolo theological or religious or whatever society where you're following the, the Jewish calendar, for example. So I'm living in a double, a double new year life because it come things, uh, new years, I'm like, oh my God, I should, I should change. And then especially come now, Roshani Yom Kippur, I'm like, oh my God, I got to change. So we're always in this space of this is the time. This is the year. And then as the year continues, we, fall, we, we find ourselves falling backwards. And what we spoke about last week before Yom Kippur started was this idea of mantras, of expressions that we live by. I was reading this story 
over the weekend. This is a power between the story over the weekend of a man whose father told him on his deathbed, on his father's deathbed, this is a powerful story where his father was dying and the kids came to say goodbye. And the, this father turned to the son. I don't know what he told the other kids, but this kid was reporting. His father told his son, he goes, I know you're going to make it in this world. I know it's going to work out for you. So he told him. He may have told him to every kid, this is what this guy is reporting. Oh my gosh, I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it was J.C. Penny. I got to look this up. I think the story was J.C. Penny. I think the story was of J.C. Penny. And his father at his deathbed said, it's going to work out. It'll be fine. And every single barrier, every single obstacle that this guy, I think J.C. Penny's, Andy looks up and I think his name is John. And he looked this up as I'm talking because I'm just, it's hitting me as we're talking. Every obstacle that this kid hit growing up, he just heard his father say, it's going to work out. He, he just sort of trusted that his dad knew something or that it would, he was right. So he, he mustered the energy to overcome his challenges, which ultimately led to his incredible success. So when we speak earlier this week about this idea of mantras, we, we are listening to a mantra, but we just got to make sure that it's ours and you got to repeat it and trust it and believe it. Because a lot of our lives is really being driven by the commentary in our minds. Commentary really is just neuroplasticity. But it doesn't work unless you've infused a certain belief in the words, a certain trust. As we spoke about here, beliefs are really powerful. One of the things we did months ago is this idea of writing the four things down a day. For those of you who don't remember that, we spoke about this exercise of writing down things that you're going to do every day and getting it down to four on an index card or wherever, and no matter what, doing your four. And the reason why this exercise is so powerful is because words are so powerful but they're only powerful if we've taken them and infused belief in words. Words alone may not have the power to make a difference, but when you take belief, when you take integrity and you infuse it in the words, it's okay, I just want to know if you can find um, his first name. When you take belief and you infuse it in the words, now the words have a cre James, that's what it was. It wasn't John, it was James. Take beliefs and you infuse it into the words. Now you've built the words into a creative entity. I want to understand that in the spiritual world, in the physical world, we believe or we see that creation takes place through our hands. In the spiritual world, which is a real world, 
that is more responsible for creation than the physical world is, which is why we even have something, something called the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, which is why we even have something called prayer. We believe that the spiritual world doesn't operate under physical terms and can change the world. In the spiritual world, the creative mechanism, the spiritual world is speech. There's a reason why the Bible uses the verb God spoke when God didn't do didn't speak, God's not a human being. And the Bible should have used the verb of acting or doing or creating or building, but it specifically uses the word spoke because it's cluing us into how the spiritual world works. Your speech can create. Your speech can change the spiritual world, which is why prayer works because speaking things can impact even if I can't see the immediacy of it. And while that's true, no matter what, it becomes much more impactful when we infuse belief in our words. When somebody recognizes the power of their speech and understands that what they have in their quiver is the ability to actually create the future, the whole process of growth growth starts to change. Because when you say, I want to be something, or you say, I want to do something, and you just, as you say it, you don't really mean it, more important than anything else, you've, deb you've debased and you've diffused the power of speech. It's like the kid, the boy who cries wolf. That's the best story. That the boy, who's cry the boy who cries wolf is like, the beginning of teaching kids this lesson, right? Because when kids are little, they all, kids know this, right? It's like, we mess them up, right? When kids are very little, they all know that speech matters. That's why if you look at a three-year-old and say, we're going to go to the ice cream store, they don't have, you don't have to, they don't, they don't need it in writing. They don't need you to like initial across the, the, the contract and notarize it. If you say we're going to the ice cream store, they just assume you're going to the ice cream store. But mom and dad aren't like that. We just use ice cream stores as a way to get them to stop going nuts in public. So sometimes mom will promise something or dad will promise something. They're not going to say the word promise. They'll just say, we'll do it. Only because there's nothing else that will get the kids to actually pay attention. And then they're not even thinking about how it fits into their day. They don't even have the lollipops in the house. They'll just deal with it later on. They just got to somehow finish shopping, get them to stop fighting and get home. They're not even thinking like, wait, when am I going to go to the ice cream store? I got this. And they don't even think that way. But to a child, when you say something, those words are bonds. They're real. And then they come home and mom doesn't take you to the ice cream store. And dad doesn't take, give you the lollipop. And over time, the kids start to realize, hey, words aren't real. I thought they were because I, I would never say something that wasn't real. I'm only three. I'm only four. I'm five. I don't know how to lie yet, but I'm conditioned around to realize that I, the words that I say don't have to actually mimic the truth. And then they do it themselves. But what do kids want more than anything in the world? They want to get out of stuff because they're structured. So the famous story of the boy who cried wolf is basically the, I don't I haven't read it and I don't know, like, 
I don't remember the last one, but tell me if I'm getting this right. Basically, the boy keeps on crying that there's a wolf. I don't even remember the story. And then at some point, everyone runs to help him. And then at some point, there's an actual wolf. And he cries, but no one goes to help him. I, does he get eaten at the end of the story? I don't even remember. Does the boy die? Do we really read these to our children? I don't remember if the boy gets eaten by the wolf. I hope not. Oh, the sheep gets eaten. Okay, thank God. I thought it's the boy. Thank gosh. Oh, he lives and learns lessons. Thank. Okay, good. Thanks, everybody. But this idea that we're teaching our children that when you say something enough times, and ultimately, if you keep on saying things, no one's going to believe you. But you know who the biggest boy or girl who cries wolf is? Us. We keep on telling ourselves stuff and we don't do it. We keep on promising ourselves things and we don't do it. We keep on telling ourselves that this is going to be the year or I'm going to do this. And then we don't do it. And then we stop believing ourselves. That's the biggest tragedy of all. The biggest tragedy is that in our own self, there isn't that piece of our speech that once we say those words, it's done. Of course, you have to live your life. And of course, you try and fail. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about speaking to ourselves in a way that we don't even mean it to ourselves. It means there's no place we go then once we go there, we know there's no coming back. So we don't really have that belief that is infused in any of our words. Even sometimes when you pray, you say, I'm going to change. You don't even really mean it. Or you say, I'm going to lose weight. You don't really mean it. I'm just, you just don't want to eat that dessert. So you just, you, don't, you just don't want to be, feel guilty. there's one thing we can work on in the new year is to go somewhere where when we go there and say the things, it's done. When we really want to change, we have to go somewhere to the four things, to the journal, to something. We have to learn how to make a commitment to ourselves. And even if we can't follow through, then we have to minimize the commitment. Period. Like, if I can't guarantee that I'm going to be a better dad, then I have to at least guarantee that I'm going to do this small thing these many days. Because I have to know that if I write something down or I say something to myself or I make a change, I have to begin the process of taking some parts of my speech and infusing them with my belief that it's already true. Right? Not my belief that I'm going to make it happen. My belief that it, it, has, it has already come. Now, there is something called force majeure. Force majeure is the legal term for something beyond me. Okay. 
when you sign a contract and say we're closing on the house on October 1st, you're closing on the house October 1st, period. No matter what, we're closing on October 1st. Now, if there is a force majeure, if there is a, an, or an act of God, as they say, that shows up between the signing of the contract and October 1st that nobody foresaw, okay. But for that, from when I signed that contract to what's on that closing date, I'm there, period. That's, in many ways, the beginning of infusing belief in words. When I speak, yes, sometimes I say things that make other people feel good. Fine. Although I think a lot of that is to make us feel good. But okay, we'll get to, in Hebrew it's called chanifa, which is a false flattery. There is a concept of where you could you know, exaggerate to make someone else feel good. But when you speak and everything we're doing really is just flattering people because we think we'll get more, it comes from a root in which my words are meaningless. Before we even get there, we have to work on together is this idea that I want my words to matter. I want when I speak for those words to feel substantive. You know people like this. When they speak, you can almost sense that they mean it. When they come in a word room and say something, or some people like, there's a different tone. Like they're like, jokey, jokey, jokey. Then all of a sudden like they get into this like seriousness and they say something. And as soon as they say it, you know it's coming. You know they can do anything to make that happen. And as soon as they act that way, things change because they're actually playing in the spiritual world. They're creating, like you're watching spiritual creation happening on the spot. Your words are infused with so much belief, with so much integrity. It's as if you can, it's like a signed and sealed document but for force majeure, it's done. And they'll move mountains to make it done. That's the power that words can have. And the way change is supposed to happen is you're supposed to have moments of inspiration. There's supposed to be like a Yom Kippur in your life. And you're supposed to have moments post. And what drives your life is that in the moments of inspiration, you're supposed to stop and say, okay, what am I doing now? And you sign, seal, and deliver it. It's signed on the dotted line. I'm doing this. I see clearly now. As soon as that's done, you wake up the next morning and your body goes, what, what, what did we just do? What'd you sign us up for? It's like pledging for those who go to these synagogues. When you're in a, in at least the, 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 the where I pray, where I pray, uh, everything that they sell, all the different honors, open the ark, close the ark. And the, 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 the group that I pray with, they take it very seriously. So a lot of it goes for lots of money. You're bidding lots of money on things and you get swept up in it. And it's all charity. Many times I leave like now and I'm like, what did I bid on yesterday? I'm like, oh my God, like you have a bill and you got to pay it. 
you already got the honor and you paid the bill, but you, 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 you pledge that much money because you believe the honor matters and you know God runs this world. And you know that if you, if you promise to pay a certain amount of money to get an honor on Yom Kippur and you don't deliver, like, hello. So the next morning you wake up, you're like, okay, I got to go through my, all right. Open my mouth. I pledged. You got to come up with the money now. It's life. These are the moments now, guys and ladies. These are the moments. Post Yom Kippur. What, what, what do we want our year to look like? These are the moments. These are the times to do the, we're going to do visualization now together. That's what we're doing for the next five days. We got to think of what to do during Sukkot. We'll, we'll deal with that during the week. Me and Andy will we'll, we'll confer and get back to you. But for the next few days, yeah, we got to ask ourselves, what do I want my year to look like? Where do I want, where do I want to be next Kippur? Jewish, not Jewish. You observed, you observed, you didn't observe. I don't care. We're all doing this together. Where do you want to be in a year from now? What do I got to do now? What do I got to pledge with my mouth? So when I sit together in a year, hopefully we'll be here. Hopefully we'll be in Israel, but hopefully we'll be here. I'm going to be a different person. Change. Scary but awesome. All right, we'll continue. Have an amazing day. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you guys so much. With God's help, can't wait to speak again tomorrow.